blue wire. Rosen traded to the Dolphins. I couldn't be more excited to become a Dolphin. Rosen looking down the field, and his pass is going to be caught for the touchdown. Running around, circling, oh look out! All right, who is ready for a week of completely sane and rational and well-thought-out takes about quarterback Ryan Tannehill, who is uh, 60 minutes away from playing as the starting quarterback of the Tennessee Titans in a game that will be played in Hard Rock Stadium. And it's kind of the talk of... Dolphins fans at this point in time, obviously Miami not playing this postseason. So we're looking for storylines to attach on to. And the quarterback position kind of rules the roost as far as, well, you know, Miami had Tannehill and they couldn't do anything with him for seven years. And the first year he leaves and goes somewhere else, it's so Dolphins that he goes ahead and, and he wins all these games games as the starter in Tennessee, and, and people are just, what kind of fatal mistake have the Dolphins made? And I mean, th- this is not new information, guys, and that's the first thing I want to talk about today. I want to talk about Ryan Tannehill, who he was when he was here, and who he is now that he's in Tennessee. Uh, Tannehill was in college, a player, recruited as a quarterback, switched to wide receiver, switched back to quarterback, and uh, ended up being the number eight overall pick in the NFL draft uh, for a team that had just hired Joe Philbin to serve as their head coach. And Philbin was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins for 52 games. In those 52 games, Ryan Tannehill, mind you, as a player who had like one and a half years of experience as a starting quarterback, who was green and probably wasn't ready to be thrown into the fire of an NFL offense as a rookie right away anyway. In 52 games, the first three and a quarter seasons of Ryan Tannehill's career, the most impactful period of his career to help mold him into the player that he was going to become. Joe Philbin asked Ryan Tannehill to throw the ball 28-plus times 47 times in 52 games. He asked him to throw it more than 30 times, 41 times in 52 games, and over 35 pass attempts in 29 of his 52 games. Over half of Ryan Tannehill's first three seasons, of the games in his first three seasons, he was asked to be the offense. And that's why Joe Philbin was here, because Steve Ross wanted big, sexy passing offense and and vertical components, and they sign Mike Wallace as a downfield guy, and he proceeds to average like 12 yards a catch. The good coaches that are out there, and there's less than 32 of them, let's let's call a spade a spade, the the good coaches that are out there, they put their players in a position to be successful, and every single coach is going to tell you they're going to do that. But do they actually do it? And Joe Philbin, for the guy who uh, couldn't look Chad Johnson in the eye when he was sitting in his office telling him that he was going to cut him, 
the guy that disbanded Miami's entire leadership council because he couldn't deal with strong personality voices that might challenge his view and his direction. That Joe Philbin, the guy that got queasy in the fourth quarter against the Green Bay Packers and routinely coached scared. That guy, the guy who hired an offensive coordinator who used go for every run play and go-go as his cadence for every pass play. Guy that was brought in to run a, a super paced and tempoed offense and proceeded to do anything but. He didn't put Ryan Tannehill in positions to be successful because you look at who Ryan Tannehill is now and you look at what Ryan Tannehill's resume told you that he was over seven seasons in Miami. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Russell Wilson. He's not Brett Favre. He's not Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. He's, he's not that guy. He's not a guy that you're going to run your offense exclusively through and have him successfully elevate the players around him. So when Ryan goes to Tennessee and the team has a bunch of ass kickers up front that can run the football and a physical freak of a running back who's playing better than any running back in the NFL right now, and they lean on that dude and give that dude 30 carries, Ryan's played 14 games this year if you include the two playoff games. You know how many times Ryan Tannehill's been asked to throw the ball 30 times? Four times, three times. And the Titans are one and two in those football games. The Titans are playing complimentary football and they understand Ryan Tannehill is a complimentary quarterback and there's nothing wrong with being a complimentary quarterback. Everybody wants the, the Tom Brady or they want the Aaron Rodgers, or they want the Patrick Mahomes, or they want the Lamar Jackson. But you know what? The guys who transcend the talent around them, they're rare. They're like good head coaches. They don't grow on trees, and you're not just going to pluck one because you pick in the top 10. And that's a lesson that Miami can learn going forward, and Miami fans would be well served to keep in the back of their mind when they think about Miami's next quarterback and what's next for this franchise. Because if you're expecting Miami to pluck a quarterback in the top 10 and no questions asked, this guy's a stud, he's going to make everybody better, all of our problems are solved, kumbaya, you're still spoiled from Dan Marino 10 years or 20 years ago. That's probably not going to be the case. But what is exciting is you look at the coaching staff that Miami has in place. Never mind the fact that Chad O'Shea has been dismissed. Never mind the fact that the New York Giants are interested in, interested in interviewing Patrick Graham. The Dolphins coaching staff, the heartbeat, the focal point, the keystone, the center of it all is Brian Flores. And Brian Flores has shown he's capable of making good decisions. He's capable of not hanging on to mistakes when he makes a bad decision and letting them go. He's not afraid of change. He is an elite motivator of his players. He's selling a culture that the players have all bought into. And more than half of Miami's roster next year is going to be new starters anyway. So who cares if you lose a defensive coordinator? Who cares if you lose an offensive coordinator? Continuity doesn't exist for Miami in the first three years anyway because of how drastic the team's rebuild is. But the Dolphins have a coach 
who will make it a priority to craft game plans around putting players in the position to be successful. Travis Wingfield, who does Locked On Dolphins, uh, sent out a tweet earlier this week that said, Mike Gusecki's pass-blocking reps were decreased from 2018 under Adam Gase to 2019 under Brian Flores by 400%. It's a number that's big enough to make your mind melt. And remember, Gase used 20% of Mike Gusecki's reps as a rookie, flex tight end, who averaged like 16 and a half yards per catch running seam routes at Penn State, never put his hand in the dirt. One out of every five reps he had under Adam Gase, guess what? Pass protection. Good coaching versus bad coaching. And Miami generally has a good core group of coaches who are capable of teaching fundamentals, and Brian Flores steers that ship. And Brian Flores might not have his, hand, his fingerprints all over the offensive game plans. But Brian Flores sets the tone and he sets the expectation. And I'm sure he sits in and, and, and has some input. But that's a very valuable lesson for Miami with their next quarterback versus the quarterback that they moved on from this offseason. And people say, oh my God, the, the Dolphins made a colossal mistake of, of trading Ryan Tannehill. No, no they didn't. And here's why, because Ryan was 31 years old. His contract called for $25 million per season. He was getting paid an exorbitant amount of money at 31 years old to play on this roster when the Dolphins had decided it was time to wipe the slate clean and start over. What do you think Ryan Tannehill would have done behind this offensive line? When you, especially when you consider they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't run the ball this year even if they wanted to. And that's the component of what Tennessee is able to provide him. Offensive line and running back and running game and a team identity that doesn't make the quarterback the keystone piece that's so different in what allows Ryan to have success. Like all of these puzzle pieces fit together. And you have to remember that. I think for Ryan, this is a really, really exciting opportunity because it is one of those places that is not going to ask him to be the dude. You know, they, they their team identity, their their team culture is physical. We're going to run downhill at you. We're going to physically challenge you, and we think we can beat you. And then we're going to you know have Ryan take selective shots with with pushing the ball, and because the defense is so off off balance, you know he he gets some time in the pocket to sit back there and. Miami wasn't going to pay a quarterback $25 million to play behind the offensive line in a rebuilding year. And by the time the Dolphins are ready to compete in two years, Ryan Tannehill is going to be 33 years old. It was never going to work in Miami. And that's not Chris Greer's fault, Brian Flores' fault. That, that is the fault of the people who were here before, the Jeff Irelands, the Dennis Hickey, the Mike Tannenbaum, the Adam Gase. You look at the first three, three and a quarter seasons under Joe Philbin, though, and the fact that Miami so heavily relied on him, and you think about the hits that he absorbed over the course of that time. 52 games under Joe Philbin, Ryan Tannehill was sacked 139 times. 139 times. And you wonder 
why his body broke down and why he had he finished 2015 with the Dan Campbell season and then Adam Gase comes in in 2016 and before the end of that year boom he's hit he's injured training camp next season boom the knee goes completely he's out for the year and then he comes back in 2018 and he's bet he has a shoulder issue he's constantly fighting through he's not 100% healthy it's kind of the Andrew Luck thing you think about Andrew Luck and, and Indianapolis as as a court had a quarterback that did elevate everyone around him in Andrew Luck, and they still refused to surround him with talent. And by the time they got an offensive line in front of him, it was too little, too late. The wear and tear on his body over six seasons was too much, and Andrew Luck retired. And, and Ryan Tannehill is fortunate that he hasn't had a neck injury like Andrew had or or Peyton Manning had a neck injury or you know he he's had some lower body issues he he took the tough hit i believe it was against Cincinnati in 2018 but he's healthy enough that he wants to continue to play football and Miami damn near ruined him is what they did so I feel good getting that off my chest because I've been thinking a lot about it and I've been reading a lot on the timeline over the course of the past 12 hours since you know it was, became apparent that Tennessee was going to win last night's game. And everybody's got something to say about the Dolphins and Ryan Tannehill and how they've made mistakes. Like we, how many people leave Miami and get better? And it seems like Stephen Ross has had a pretty big revelation as far as the company culture and the football operations culture that's been in place there. And like Mike Wallace t- t- chimed in last night and said something along the lines of Ryan Tannehill, it wasn't your fault. It was that toxic ass program. And he's not wrong. Like Jeff Ireland asked Des Bryant's mom, if he was a prostitute to combine, are we really going to act surprised that this team, along with all the infighting and politicking that went on in football operations between head coaches and general managers there, created an unfriendly workplace environment for people to be productive? Come on now. Are we really surprised that that Joe Philbin getting a little queasy on the sideline trying to call a game? Sitting there slapping his hands on the arms of his chair while he's trying to cut Chad Johnson and tell him bad news? And Adam Gase, who had an excuse for everything? Are we really going to act like those guys were were putting people in the best position to be successful when you look at what they actually asked them to do versus what they said they were going to do versus what those players are asked to do in other places where coaching does allow them to do what they do best. There's a lot of variables at play here. There's a lot to sink your teeth into, and I think the most important thing for Miami fans to keep perspective with is it really seems like Miami has a coaching staff in place and football operations structure in place that not everybody's reporting to Stephen Ross anymore. That's a big change. Chris Greer's running the show. Say what you will about Chris Greer. Chris Greer has been drafting here since 2016, and he's made two bad picks in the top 100. Don't you dare count fifth-round picks as hits or misses and criticize a GM for missing in the fifth round. Top 100 picks are where you get expected starters. And over the course of since 2016, Chris has done a really nice job he missed hard on the Charles Harris pick, and I've talked about that on the podcast before. I don't know why Charles Harris was the pick. Because I didn't think Charles Harris had top 100 tape. Leonte Carew was one that hurt. Obviously. People are going to point to, well, you know, they, 
Steve Ross wanted Lamar Jackson, and Chris Greer told him no and picked Minka, and then Minka didn't want to be here, and now he's not playing for the Dolphins anymore. Like, be honest, if you think Adam Gase had Lamar Jackson, do you think they're going to revamp their offense the way that the Baltimore Ravens have? Or is Lamar going to look more like the 2018 version of Lamar? It's all about players being put in positions to be successful. And Miami, until this year, shouldn't have given you the confidence that they had the ability to do that. I want to talk about something else on the show today. I want to talk about uh, Miami's hunt for quarterback, and specifically whether or not they should move up inside the top three with a trade-up with the uh, Detroit Lions if Tua Tunga Viola gets a healthy green light on his uh, medical checks. So I wrote about this over the course of this past weekend for the Draft Network, and I really enjoyed sitting down to write it. Uh, Detroit owning the third overall pick. They're sitting on a potential goal line because the presumed top two picks are Joe Burrow and Chase Young. Washington would be a fool to trade out of that two spot. They'd be a fool to draft a quarterback when Dwayne Haskins uh, was hand-selected by Daniel Snyder uh, to be the quarterback 18 months ago. And you know, or less, I'm sorry, 10 months ago. And you know what Dan Snyder has done since then? He's fired the head coach, he's fired his VP of football operations, and he's brought in Ron Rivera, and he's brought in, uh, they're going to put off hiring a, a general manager until after the draft. They got a young, promising quarterback who looked promising at the end of the season last year before he got hurt. And Dan Snyder told Dwayne Haskins, don't go back in the game. So I think it's pretty clear that, that Dan Snyder's intentions are for Dwayne Haskins to be his quarterback. Which puts Detroit on the clock. They've got Matt Stafford, who uh, was injured and missed time this year. There's some Detroit fans that want Detroit to take a quarterback. I'd be really surprised because Detroit, under Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, they are regressing uh, at an alarming rate. And they, they need to draft players that are going to help them win in 2020. And I think the best way for them to do so is to take some of these impact defensive players, whether it's Isaiah Simmons or Derek Brown. But Miami picking at five is close enough up in the queue. The Giants are probably going to go with an offensive tackle. They might go with Isaiah Simmons. They might go with a wide receiver. But they desperately need an offensive tackle. This is a really good offensive tackle class. Dave Gettleman in seven, seven drafts as a general manager in the NFL has never traded down. Never traded down in the draft. During draft weekend. So if the Giants stay in the four hole, expect the Giants to pick fourth. That's just what Dave Gettleman does. And he's not, they're not in the quarterback market. So Detroit, knowing that Derek Brown's not a realistic option for the Giants either because they've taken like three defensive tackles in the top 50 over the, the last three years, they're pretty full there. Linebacker maybe, but even if linebacker goes, then Jeff Akuda's on the board. So Detroit, I can trade back with Miami two spots and probably still have all of my top targets on the board. Miami has a bunch of picks available at their disposal. Wonder what we might be able to prompt out of the Dolphins. This is where the Dolphins have to be careful, because if teams think they're desperate, they're going to try and exploit them. And I don't think that's something that 
Chris Greer is going to cave easy into. Uh, he could have very easily jumped at an early opportunity to move uh, Laramie Tunsil, and he held fast to his price and said, "You can either take, you can either give us what we want for this player, or you can enjoy not having this player, and we'll keep Tunsil and we'll move forward. He's a good football player, so on and so forth." If I'm Chris Greer, what I'm bringing to the table to discuss with Detroit mirrors exactly what we saw the New York Jets strike no less than two years ago. This deal was made on March 17th, 2018. The New York Jets, after the NFL Combine, traded for the third overall pick up from six, and in return gave the Indianapolis Colts the 37th pick, the 49th pick, and their 2019, uh, the next year's second-round pick. If I'm Miami, that's the blueprint I want to refer to and say, hey, you know, you want to get a deal done. This is a, a trade within the top six. The Jets just did this with the intent of a quarterback. And again, this, this deal is assuming that Tua gets good news with his medicals. If Miami could get Detroit to agree to that, Miami would trade them 39, 56, and one of next year's twos. I would give him the Texans too, but that's just me. Three twos to move up two spots, I think is a very reasonable price, and it's there's a precedent for it that's been set no less than two years ago. But there are teams behind Miami that are going to have something to say about this too, and that's where it gets to be a slippery slope because Carolina has owner Dave Tepper who's looking to make a splash. They just hired Matt Rule to serve as their head coach. They've got Cam Newton who's kind of like in the same Matt Stafford bucket as far as some injuries, 30 years old, expensive contract. What if we're looking to make some noise? What if Carolina says, we, we will give you seven, so you trade back two extra spots, Detroit, trade back four spots instead of two, but we'll give you seven, our second round pick, which is better than Miami's at 37, and we'll give you next year's one. It puts Miami in quite the bind because – now Carolina's going to go back to Miami and say, hey, we've got two spots further back, a better second-round pick, and a better future pick next year. So you've got all these first-round picks. Carolina's going to give us two ones. We expect you to give us two ones, but if you give us two ones, this, this deal is done. We're, I mean, we'll, we'll take it right now. Uh, so Miami is going to have the expectation based on other offers if the trade market gets hot for Tua that's going to drive up the cost and expect Miami to give two ones to move up two spots, which is tough. And if that's the case, then you're not getting the two twos this year. The Miami's going to keep one of their twos. And according to the trade value chart, something that I've put together as a, a proposed best case scenario for both sides, Miami goes from five to three. And in return, Detroit gets five, the early two at 39, Miami's third round pick at 70, and the later of the two first round picks in 2021. That's it's a handsome price. It's more in line of what the Philadelphia Eagles traded to move up from eight to two to draft Carson Wentz versus what the Jets paid to go up from six to three to draft Sam Darnold. But it's a comparable return 
to a deal like a Carson Wentz type deal instead. And, and if you've got the convictions of Tua, I, I don't have a problem with Miami paying that price. And, the, and that price, here's the reason why. Miami still has the three first round picks. And if Miami executes a trade up, my expectation would be this team manufactures at least one subsequent trade down. We've seen teams do this quite often. The Chicago Bears traded up with the San Francisco 49ers to move into uh, the the two-hole and draft Mitch Trubisky and forget about the player that they picked. But they subsequently took that trade up and then they manufactured more picks by trading down. And with Miami having three first-round picks, you could feasibly replace, depending on how far back you drop, if you drop from 18 to, to 28, if you're Miami, you could replace the two and the one that you just gave away. You could get an extra second-round pick this year, and you could get a first-round pick next year. And then what you've paid for is moving back 10 spots and a third-round pick. And if Miami wanted to, they, they would again have two twos, Go ahead and train back in the in the second 10 spots and pick up a third round pick. And now you've replaced all your picks and, and it's just you're picking a little later in each of the rounds. So that's the exciting proposition of Miami having so much ammunition at their disposal. But like Miami can't get desperate. If Miami gets desperate and they, like nobody else out there can give two ones this year and still provide Detroit the opportunity to pick in top five. Nobody can. So if, if the Oakland Raiders call and they're offering 12 and 19, okay. We'll give you one this year and one next year. You're still getting two ones, but you're not going to get two ones this year because you're picking seven spots further back. You're not getting a blue chip player anymore. Miami's got to realize they've got a ton of leverage because that spot that they're picking right now is five, that trade piece. And if Detroit wants more picks after that, you want to pick later and get more picks, go ahead and trade back from five. But don't be dumb and take the the, the big jump all the way back. That's the card that Miami's going to have to play. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Fin It to Win It. Make sure you come back and see us again next time. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs. Fins up, go Dolphins.